Good morning, guys. Why don't you get up on your feet? Let's find somebody and tell them good morning.
Good morning, Carpenter's Way. It is wonderful to see you this morning. Welcome, uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad to have you here on this Palm Sunday. Uh, as we move into Passion Week, all across, across the globe, our family is meeting in churches to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who presented himself on Palm Sunday as the King and Deliverer of our sin. Uh, we are going to this morning take our, our message time, and we're going to talk about what was really going on in the culture that day, because there's a lot of misunderstanding, and it's really, really important you understand how it is that the people who said that day, Hosanna, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, just a couple days, 48 hours, 72 hours later, they're screaming, we have no king but Caesar, crucify him, crucify him. So I'm going to explain that this morning. So uh, good morning for history lesson. We're going to be in the Word. Glad to have you here. Uh, if you are visiting with us, welcome to Carpenter's Way. We're extra glad you're here. Um, and if you're watching on the internet, thanks for being with us. Let me just say this. In a moment, we are going to take an offering, and that is for those who attend here on a regular basis. If you're visiting with us this morning, we do not want you distracted by money. Just pass the plate as it comes by. We're glad you're here. And our hope, having been here is that you want to know more about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, it isn't being a Baptist that'll save you, it's being a child of God. And that's done through the blood of Jesus Christ, which makes you adoptable into God's family. So welcome, glad to have you here. It's our hope and prayer that you cry out to him today and get to know him. And, and uh, what a wonderful week to start our celebration. I want to remind you of Carpenter's Ways events this week. Uh, our next event after Palm Sunday this morning is going to be Good Friday. Sir, our, well, we have our normal Wednesday night programming, but then Good Friday, uh, is uh, we will have a candlelight service in here from 3 to 3.30 in the afternoon, ending with communion, and that is not just for Carpenter's Way people. If you've been watching on the Internet and you are available Friday afternoon, take a late lunch, uh, take a half hour, 40 minutes off. Uh, we will get you out of here in 30 minutes, but you'll be able to take a communion and reflect on what happened? Why do we call it Good Friday? It's not preaching. It's an experience. Uh, we just uh, There's videos, there's music, and uh, we just read some scripture. So I encourage you to be here on Friday afternoon. If you have not been to a Carpenter's Way Good Friday service, I encourage you to prioritize that this week, and uh, I think you will be encouraged having been with us. So that, again, is this Friday. We do it at 3 in the afternoon because that's when we believe the shofar was blown. Jesus gave up his spirit, and the Passover lamb had been slain. So, again, that's Friday. And then next Sunday at 9.30 is our Easter, our resurrection service. And that lasts a little over an hour, and we don't do anything that morning except come in here and worship and celebrate. A good opportunity to invite your kids, your parents, your family, your neighbors, and uh, bring them in. This room usually packs. We'll have about 700 people in here, and we'll have some overflow as well. So make sure you get here early, and we will celebrate uh, our risen Lord and, and talk about what that means for the life of the believer today. So that's this week, uh, and uh, if you have any questions, it is in your worship guide, uh, or you can call the office if you have more questions, but we would love for you to participate. As you know, you don't have to be a part of Carpenter's Way to come to those things. We just want to encourage you as God's kid this week and remind you that His grace is still sufficient for you still sufficient. So a um, couple other things. Carpenter's Way folks, you need you to read the bulletin. There's stuff coming up. If you would uh, open it for a second, there's two inserts I want to highlight. First of all, men, we have a men's event coming up. It's uh, The bulletin insert is, says men's hangout. That is at the end of the month on a Saturday. That's uh, April 29th from 1 to 4. We're going to be out at uh, Steve Hicks family has a home out on Sam Rayburn. And uh, that is an awesome day. Uh, we eat together. Uh, we shoot uh, skeet together. Uh, we play games together on the porch. It is, it's just a blast. And uh, we would encourage you to be with us. On the back is directions to where it's at. Uh, we would appreciate it if you would sign up at the table out there. It's the first table next to the office. Guys, if you put your name on it, you do. it's $10. Uh, but if you, if you um, 
you don't have to pay that now. Just sign up so we can plan on how much food to bring. And uh, um, that day you can bring 10 bucks. If you don't have 10 bucks, we'll take care of it. We just want you to be there. I want to remind you that relationships are the center of the family of God. So uh, plan on joining us, Ben, for that, especially if you're new. We'll make you feel uh, welcome and, and won't leave you alone uh, unless you're weird, and then we'll leave you alone. So I'm just teasing. That was distasteful on Palm Sunday. Okay. Also, ladies, this is, this is for you. Coming up on, uh, on Tuesday, April 25th at 630 in the evening, there is a, a, uh, a women's dinner event, and you'll want to be a part of that. That, too, is 10 bucks. You can sign, out, sign up uh, as you enter. A couple things that are new on this is uh, Julie and her team are asking you to bring an item that helps you tell your story. Uh, please don't bring your living room. Um, it's a, a, a verse, a photo, just a small item that you can share. Uh, the theme of that, that event, that dinner, is uh, finding God in your story, and there'll be a couple people sharing. It's going to be a great time. And again, if you're new to Carpenter's Way, this is an opportunity for you to get to know other ladies and, uh, and spend time together. Uh, there's a table out there. Um, if you have questions after the service, Julie will be out there or someone will be out there to answer questions. Uh, we would ask that you do purchase tickets ahead of time so, again, they can order the food. And uh, so that's that. Um, that does it for the announcements at this time. If I can ask our ushers to come forward, we will pre prepare for our offering. Again, thank you for being here today. And uh, this morning as we pray, uh, I want to pray specifically. There were two churches in the Middle East, uh, in Egypt, bombed this morning during their Palm Sunday services. We just have to remember that we have brothers and sisters. We come in here and we don't even think about stuff like that. And uh, we have brothers and sisters all across the globe who literally are worshiping in harm's way. And uh, their faithfulness uh, is incredible. We need to pray for courage for them. Uh, several were killed. Others were injured. And so let's lift up our brothers and sisters uh, to the Lord. Father, we thank you uh, that we can worship you. We thank you that you presented yourself to us uh, 2,000 years ago on this morning that we celebrate. Um, you presented yourself to us uh, to serve us. Lord, you came as our deliverer to deliver us from the eternal consequences of sin, and we celebrate that this morning, Lord. I ask you, Father, that you would, you would help us this morning learn from the mistakes of the crowd that day, that we would understand what they were looking for, actually what they demanded of you, that we would understand that too many times we demand things of you you don't promise to us. And I pray that we would accept you and your plan is good and trust you. Father, we think of our brothers and sisters across the globe this morning that are celebrating uh, this Christian holiday. Those especially who this morning uh, were in the middle of their worship time and explosions took place from the middle of the worship center and several of our family went to be with you and many others were injured. And we pray, Father, for comfort, for peace, for healing. We pray for the protection of our brothers and sisters across the globe. Lord God, I pray that uh, we would be a family, Father, that don't respond with guns, but respond with, uh, with love and mercy and the message of the cross. Father, help us to be in this culture and society in this world exactly what you left us here to be, that we would raise up the banner of the resurrected Christ and tell people that there is hope beyond their sin. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us first. Bless our time together. We commit it to you, and we ask you, Father, that you would allow the words of men to fade away so that the words of God can endure forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. i 
That's all right. I just got myself a bruise. Ow! What a way to start. Don't feel bad for me. I deserved it somehow. It's Palm Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. According to the Western Christian calendar, today is the Sunday that we have set aside to celebrate the triumphant entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. And what a day it is. The reason the Christians celebrate it is because it's the beginning of Passion Week, and there's a lot of stuff that happens that week. I think one of, the, uh, one of the errors we make today, and that will lead into what I want to share with you today, uh, one of the errors that the modern church makes is we, we take each holiday like Christmas and Easter and Palm Sunday and Good Friday, and we so separate them, we don't often know how they all fit together. I want to remind you of the story of the triumphal entry, for those of you who don't know. Mark 11, 1 through 11, let me read this for you. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came uh, to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them, and as soon as you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt sanding in the street tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing? They said what, uh, they said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread uh, leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David! Praise God in the highest heaven! So Jesus came to Jerusalem, and he went into the temple. Now pay attention to this last part, because it's part of the story we don't think about. And it's pivotal to understanding what's going on. So Jesus came to Jerusalem, and he went into the temple. And after looking around carefully at everything... He left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with his 12 disciples. Now, I I know what most of you think when you think of Palm Sunday. It's one of those uh, Sundays that when you were a kid in church, if you went to church as a child, you were given branches, palm branches, and you learned Hosanna, and we marched around the room. But it's an interesting holiday in that most of us really don't know the significance of it. I mean, we know that it's a fulfillment of prophecy from Daniel. Uh, We know it's important. We just don't know why it's important. And I, and I, I got to tell you, I think that the lessons from that Palm Sunday are so significant that we're going to take this morning and I'm going to do a history lesson for you. Uh, I, I am actually in the next 45 minutes going to go through 1,500 years of history and tell you why this day is so significant. A couple things. Number one, I'm going to talk fast. I get that. that I, so, so you don't need to email. I'm aware of that because I got to get through all this stuff. Number two, if you stick with me, I think you will never look at Palm Sunday the same. I think you will actually be changed every time you hear it, and it will challenge you to rethink why you're thinking and doing exactly what you think and what you do. This morning, I'd like to give you the context of the day that Christian churches across the world are celebrating. At the time of Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago, the Jews were extremely frustrated. They were frustrated because God had made promises to their patriarch Abraham Well, actually, I want to read it to you. It's not going to be on the screen, so this is from Genesis, uh, and uh, I just want to read you several passages. The Lord God said to Abram, look as far as you can in every direction. I am going to give you all this land to you and your offspring as a permanent possession, and I'm going to give you so many descendants that like dust, they can't be counted. Take a walk in every direction. 
and explore the new possessions I am now giving you. Then the Lord brought Abram outside his tent beneath the night sky, and he told him, look up into the heavens and count the stars if you can. Your descendants will be like that. Too many to count. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord declared him righteous because of his faith in him. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the earth of the Chaldeans to give you this land. But that's not all God promised Abram. Listen to what else he promised him. Then the Lord told Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land and they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them and in the end they will come away with great wealth. But you will die in peace at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land I'm giving you today. So the Lord made a covenant with Abraham that day and he said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. That was a significant moment in the life of Abram, who didn't have any children at that time. God made some specific promises to him that day about making him this great nation through his offspring that he didn't see. God was going to give him a numerable number of children and grandchildren, and he was going to give him the land, a specific piece of land upon which he was standing that day. God told him in what I just read you, walk in every direction, everything you see will be yours. But these promises weren't just made to Abraham. They were made to his sons. They were made to their sons. And they were made to their sons. Throughout the Old Testament, you have this promise being reiterated not just to Abraham, but to Isaac and Jacob, all the way down to Joseph, over and over again, God promising unconditional promises that he would make these people a great nation. The nation had an amazing beginning with all these promises from God. And you can be sure that when God makes you a promise, you can build your hopes and dreams on those. But as people often do, the people of Israel, the children of Abraham, the children of Isaac, the children of Jacob, forgot that there would be difficulty in the middle. That difficulty in the middle is the 400 years of slavery. Now, if you've been to church your whole life, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Egypt. You see, what God would do is he would take this group of people from a small couple dozen to actually being over 2 million people, a nation, a large nation at this time, from the time they enter Egypt to the time they leave Egypt. 400 years of slavery to them was incubation by God to fulfill promises to Abraham. And it was, it was painful. It was painful because this was a real slavery. Actually, it started with Joseph's brothers being angry with him and jealous and selling him some nomads on their way to Egypt. In Egypt, while in jail, God would bless Joseph and would actually, through various series of events that I don't have time to go through today, make him the second of the nation. While second in command only to Pharaoh, Joseph's brothers who sold him into slavery would actually come during a great famine and beg him to allow them to stay or to give him food. Joseph didn't reveal himself to them for a time, but eventually he invited them and their families to come live in Egypt, and they lived there in absolute luxury until it tells us that the Pharaohs of the following generation forgot what they had done and who they were. And it was then that, the, that the, the nation of Egypt began to realize, it tells us, remember, that the reason the Jews were enslaved by God's prophetic truth was to incubate them, to make them large. Well, it tells us in the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Exodus, that the Egyptians were freaking out because they were, so, uh, they were growing in number so much. So their plan was 
that they would then start to lord it over these people and make them servants or slaves. While in slavery, they still flourished. And so it was the plan of Pharaoh that he would kill the firstborn or the sons of all the Jewish women. Now, as violent as that sounds and evil as it sounds, it was a pretty good plan from a humanistic point of view because what would then happen is there would be all these Jewish girls who would then marry Egyptian boys and they would make one large nation. But that's not what God had in plan. You see, God promised Abraham a, a, a few generations before that eventually he was going to give them this land, that he was going to make them a great nation, but that they would for 400 years be in slavery, and that had begun. And so this woman, a slave woman, has a baby. His name was Moses. You may call him Mo. And this woman had a plan. She was going to put him in a reed basket, waterproof it, and let him float down the Nile so they couldn't find him and kill him. Well, in coincidence, for those of you who don't believe in sovereignty, and by God's sovereign plan for those of us who do, it just so happened that God caused the current to make this basket run into Pharaoh's daughter. She opens the basket, falls in love with this boy, and as consequence would have, have it happen, actually, not only does she adopt that son, but she hires Moses' birth mother to be the nursemaid of this child. This young man, this deliverer that God would raise up, was not only Egyptian, but Jewish. He'd raise up, he'd grow up both, which would be necessary to be the deliverer of the Jews from, from Egyptian slavery. Unfortunately, at 40 years of age, he takes things into his own hands, not waiting on God. Moses becomes angry and he kills a slave master who is abusing Jewish slaves. He ends up leaving. He runs for his life, and he's done with Judaism. Moses is, and I, I, I can't say it enough, some of the teaching we got is a little bit off. Abraham, as far as we know, was not a worshiper of Jehovah. He was just a sheep herder out in Ur that was called by God to be the father and patriarch of this nation. And the same goes with Moses. We have no knowledge that Moses worshiped the God of the Jews. In fact, I could make the case to you this morning that, jo that Moses was not a, Jews, uh, a Jehovah worshiper. How do I know that? Because he didn't circumcise his boys. That was a clear ordinance from God. So you've got this Jewish Egyptian boy out in the middle of nowhere raising sheep when God lights a bush on fire and says, you're going to be my deliverer. Stick with me here. I know some of you are wondering where Palm Sunday comes into this. God calls him back, and as you know, through a series of 10 supernatural events, God introduces himself to the Jews, to Pharaoh, and actually, we can go and say, introduces himself to Rahab the harlot. Remember her? I know you're wondering what that has to do with anything. The rest of the world. Everybody heard about the 10 plagues that had happened. Everybody heard what God was doing, including Rahab the harlot that would come to, to accept Christ. Remember when she hid the spies? It was through this that God introduced himself. Some may wonder, well, why would God allow the Jews to go through this difficulty? Because not only was he incubating a nation, but he was also introducing himself to that nation and the world. Please understand that when you go through difficulty, it might be difficult, but that doesn't mean it's still not God's will. God's at work. Our king of kings is, is ruling. He rules over everything. He rules in stereo, my friends. Our tragedy, as his servants, works for his glory at times. Back to the story. You'll recall that there were nine plagues, and then on the tenth plague, God actually really introduces himself. 
He does something so supernatural, so overwhelming, so impacting that God's promise to Abraham that not only will you be released from that nation that will, that will put you in slavery for 400 years, but on top of it, you will leave with great wealth happens. That last thing was the firstborn child of everyone who did not do something. Jew and Egyptian. Remember what they had to do? Put the blood of a lamb over the door and on the sides. Over the door and on the sides. Please tell me, Christians in East Texas, you're not that dumb, right? Over the door. Yes. The blood of the Passover lamb, as we will call her, was the symbol on the door that the death angel could come by and pass over that house because God's protection was upon it. I'm going to do something here that's going to be hard. It's going to be on the screen, but I'm going to read for you what happens right before the 10th plague. Uh, Exodus chapter 12, and it's, it's fairly long, so stick with me. I, I'm getting to Passover. I'm getting to Palm Sunday. While the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. Announce the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for sacrifice, one animal for each household. If the family is too small to eat a whole animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they must eat. The animal, uh, animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either sheep or a goat with no defects. Take special care of this chosen animal until evening of the 14th day of the first month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or a young goat at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and the top of the door flames of the house where they eat the animal. Lydia, what is that a picture of? The cross. That same night, they must roast the meat over a fire and eat it along with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. Do not eat any of the meat raw or boiled in water. The whole animal, including the head, legs, and internal organs, must be roasted over a fire. Do not leave any of it until the next morning. Burn whatever is not eaten until morning. These are your instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed. Wear your sandals. Carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. On, the night I will, on that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt, and I will strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. The plague of death will not touch you when I, stake the land of, uh, when I strike the land of Egypt. This is a day to remember. Each year from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. This is a law for all time. For seven days, the bread you must eat Excuse me. The bread you eat must be made without yeast. On the first day of the festival, remember, uh, remove every trace of yeast from your homes. Anyone who eats bread made with yeast during the seven days of the festival will be cut off from the community of Israel. On the first day of the festival, and again on the seventh day, all the people must observe an official day for holy assembly. No work of any kind may be done on these days except in preparation for food. Celebrate this festival in unleavened bread, for it will remind you that I brought your forces out of the land of Egypt on this very day. This festival will be a permanent law for you. Celebrate this day from generation to generation. The bread you must eat must be without yeast from uh, evening on the 14th day of the first month 
until the evening of the 21st day of that month. During those seven days, there must be no trace of yeast in your homes. Anyone who eats anything made with yeast during the week will be cut off from the community of Israel. These regulations apply to the foreigners living among you and to the native-born Israelites. During those days, you must not eat anything made with yeast. Are you getting a theme here? The Jews understood that yeast was a symbol of sin. Cleanse yourself of your sin. Follow God. Wherever you live, eat only bread made without yeast. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel together and said, go pick out a lamb or a young goat for each of your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Drain the blood into a basin. Take the bundle of hyssop branches and dip it into the blood. Brush the hyssop across the top and sides of the door frame of your house. Lydia, what's that a picture of? The cross. They didn't know. It was just a Passover lamb whose blood was applied to this spot, this spot, that spot. That's all they knew. Drain the blood in a basin, take the uh, bundle of hyssop branch and dip it in the blood. Brush the hyssop across the top and sides of the door frames of your house. And no one may go through the door until morning. For the Lord will pass through the land and strike down the Egyptians. But when he sees the blood on the top and sides of the door frame, the Lord will pass over your home. He will not permit his death angel to enter your house and strike you down. Okay, I'm almost done. Keep going. Remember these instructions are permanent law that you and your descendants must observe forever. When you enter the land the Lord has promised to give you, you will continue to observe this ceremony. Okay, fulfillment of a promise to Abraham. Then your children were asked, what does this ceremony mean? And you will reply, it's the Passover sacrifice of the Lord. For he passed over the homes of the Israelites in Egypt. And though he struck the Egyptians, he spared our families. When Moses had finished, finished speaking, all the people bowed down to the ground and worshiped. So the people of Israel did as the Lord commanded through Moses and Aaron. And that night, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn sons in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn son of the prisoner in the dungeon. Even the firstborn of their own livestock were killed. Pharaoh and all of his officials and all the people of Egypt woke up during the night with loud wailing was heard throughout the land of Egypt. There was not a single house where someone had not died. Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron during the night and said, get out, leave my people and take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and your herds, as he said, and be gone. Go, but bless me as you leave. All the Egyptians urged the people of Israel to get out of the land as quickly as possible, for they thought, we are all going to die. The Israelites took their bread dough before the yeast was added. They wrapped their kneading boards in their cloaks and carried them on their shoulders. And the people of Israel did as Moses had instructed. They asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of silver and gold. The Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites, and they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. So they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. That night, the people of Israel left Ramses and started for Succoth. There were about 600,000 men, plus all the women and children. That's where we get up to about 2 million people. A rabble of non-Israelites went with them, along with great flocks and herds of livestock. For bread, they baked flat cakes and dough without yeast they had bought from Egypt. It was made without yeast because the people were driven out of Egypt in such a hurry, they had no time to prepare the bread or other food. The people of Israel had lived in Egypt for 430 years. In fact, it was on the last of day of the 430th year that all the Lord's forces left the land. And on this night, the Lord kept his promise to bring the people out of Egypt. So this night belongs to him, and it must be commemorated every year by all the Israelites from generation to generation. That's the Passover. That's the Seder. That's what Jesus and the disciples are going to do in the upper room on Monday, Thursday. That's Thursday. This Thursday, that's what they do. They celebrate this. God's deliverance from slavery to Egypt. 
I know you're probably thinking, great history lesson, but this is Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, the day we remember Christ entering Jerusalem on a donkey to present himself as the humble conquering king of Israel. What does this have to do with that? All right, here we go. During the Exodus, the children of Israel were set free from their slavery in Egypt. They were passed over by God's judgment because they had obeyed and placed the blood of the Passover lamb, Passover lamb, on the doorposts and the side and the tops. Here's where we go. Unfortunately, the Jews never really became, from this point on, the nation that God had desired them to be because they didn't want God's nation. Let me jump ahead to Palm Sunday. Let me be clear. Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, was just another in a long line of people they hoped would be the new Moses. He was just going to be another disappointment. Because what the Jews always wanted, all the way back to even when Moses is leading them, was not God's kingdom. They wanted their own kingdom empowered by God. If you go back and you read Kings and Samuel, you will find out that these people knew that God was going to be their king and kept telling him he didn't, they didn't want him as their king. We want somebody with skin on. And God actually sent prophets to warn these people that if you get a king that you want, a human king, he's going to enslave your children, he's going to make your taxes crazy. This king that I, myself, God offered himself as their king. If you let me be your king, I will take care of you, you will be wealthy, you will never be defeated, you will have food, your women will never die in childbirth. Amazing. It's the perfect kingdom. Food, health care, anything you could want. And the people said, so be it. So be it. We want a human king. They didn't want God. They were satisfied with the sacrificial system. They wanted the priests. They wanted the, the rabbis. And when God sent prophets in the Old Testament to inform them that he was going to be their king, to go back and obey the Mosaic covenants, to remember the promises of God, what did they do to the prophets? They killed them. I'm sneaking up to Palm Sunday and Passion Week. Let me be clear in case you're not clear on the history of this nation. Jesus wasn't uniquely treated by these people. He was just a next in the line of prophets they would kill. The difference between Jesus and the others is he was the only one that claimed to be God. But as far as they were concerned, they wanted nothing to do with God's kingdom. They wanted God to give them their kingdom. God wanted a personal relationship with the Jews. They wanted a kingdom where the priests and the religious leaders took care of the religious stuff, and they simply had a normal king. And for the next 1,500 years, God would send prophets, kings, priests, and even angels, and even on a couple occasions himself, in the Old Testament to proclaim, and they would kill almost all of them. Each and every time, 100% of the time, the nation of Israel said, no thanks. Palm Sunday, within the context of this nation, was just another example in a bad cycle of rejecting God. The day Jesus rode into town on that colt, 
The Jews were waving their national flags at him, the palm branches. The tradition of palm branches on Palm Sunday actually originates, to the best of our knowledge, with the Jewish festival of Sukkoth, also called the festival of tabernacles or booths, which was probably the most popular holiday among the Jews of the first century. Please get this. The Jews had the Day of Atonement. They loved that day, but it wasn't their favorite. Their favorite was this festival of Sakoth. The Day of Atonement was about spiritual purity and redemption. That wasn't their passion as a nation. The priests could take care of that. Their passion was being a nation. And that's what this celebration gave them. In observance of Sukkoth, worshipers processed, sorry, went through Jerusalem and in the temple, waving their right hand something called lalam, which was a bunch of leafy branches made of willow, myrtle, and palm. And as they waved these branches in procession, the worshipers would recite words from Psalm 118. The psalm normally used said, save us, we beseech you, O Lord. By the way, does anybody know what the Hebrew word for save us, we beg you, O Lord? Hosanna. Save us, we beg you. They would scream Hosanna in Hebrew, which means save us, we beg you, O Lord. Typically followed by, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's why we believe that even though it was out of season, the nation, when Jesus rode in, they surely knew of his miracles. They knew he claimed to be from God. And they had certainly heard that he raised a dude named Lazarus in Bethany the week before. And when he was entering to Jerusalem, the city must have erupted. This guy might be our new Moses. He can deliver us. And so they immediately broke out into what was a nationalistic rally. The palm branches. Save us! Save us, the cloth underneath, throwing, just touching him. Save us. These people didn't understand when Jesus said it over and over and over again. Or maybe they did understand when Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to actually serve this time. They didn't either understand it or didn't care. And the truth is, how could they not understand it? Back in John chapter 1, verses 19 to 30, there was a story about John the Baptist. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leader sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? He came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. Well, then who are you, they asked. Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we have been expecting? No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. Who, what do you have to say about yourself to us? John replied in these words of the prophet Isaiah, I am simply the voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, if you aren't Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? John told them, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd, okay? I want you to, I want you to realize something here. Right here in the crowd, Jesus was there listening to this right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize though his ministry follows mine i am not worthy to be his slave or untied the straps of a sandal this encounter took place in bethany an area east of the jordan river where john was baptizing the next day john uh, john saw jesus coming toward him and said look look the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world he is the one i was talking about 
So the very next morning, these people are still around John. John did his ministry out in the wilderness. People came and camped and listened to him. They listened to him preach. And now he said, somebody in this crowd is actually the Messiah you've been waiting for. The one you're waiting for. He doesn't tell him who. But the next morning, first thing, there's Jesus walking up over the hill. And I want you to understand that to the Jewish mind, to the Hebrew mind, this was a significant statement. Because in this, he does not use the word atonement. You see, the Jews were used to their sins being atoned for. It's a Hebrew word, which means covered. But when he saw Jesus, he said, there's the Lamb of God. They would have immediately recognized it as the Passover Lamb. There's the Lamb that came from God, and he's here to take your sins away. Please understand, the problem with religion, even the Jewish sacrificial system, is it only covers your sins. Let me be clear. I get a question periodically. Are Jews automatically saved? Not unless they apply the blood of the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, to their lives are they saved. Why? Because the atoning sacrifice of the old covenant doesn't remove sin. It covers sin. You see, you can't have fellowship with God if your sin isn't removed. This Passover lamb came to remove the sin. And at the beginning of Jesus' three and a half year ministry, it begins with Paul, or Paul, with John, actually proclaiming, that's the one you've been looking for. That's the one. He's not only going to be a prophet to the truth, he is the truth. He's going to remove your sin. So the priests and the council knew it three years before he was killed that this was God's sent Messiah. And some people wonder, well, why did he do all those miracles? Every miracle that Jesus performs is nothing more than a validation that he was not just another dude making claims. He was actually sent from God. From turning water into wine in his first miracle at the, at the wedding of Cana until Jesus Christ raises Lazarus from the dead. It is a proclamation that nobody can do these things unless God gives them the power. And it becomes so radical that the Jewish religious leaders actually say that his miraculous power is from Lucifer. Jesus calls that a sin against the Holy Spirit of which there's no forgiveness. Please understand that you have a tension going on all over the Jewish community. The Jews felt their need, their want, their want. Sure, they wanted to be right with God, but they had a bigger one, and that was to be right with the world. They wanted to overthrow Rome. They wanted their nation that was promised to Abraham. They wanted a king that they liked. They wanted the things that they wanted done. They wanted their way. And they were not allowing God to do his thing. They wanted their way. That is what's interesting to me about Palm Sunday. Because I grew up waving palm branches. You know where I'm going with this? I think maybe for Monday, Thursday. You know what that is? That's a religious festival in, in, in traditions in liturgical churches. That's where we uh, set up the Last Supper and you kind of walk through it. I think that that Thursday we should have a children's program where we have them act out Judas. What the Jews did that day was the same thing they had always done. Demand their will over God's. You see, to the church it's a great day because it's the beginning of Passion Week. But in the history of humanity, especially the history of Jewish humanity, it's a tragic day. They didn't change their mind about Jesus three days later. He was just a disappointment to their will. 
You see, you need to understand, when you look at Palm Sunday and we, oh, how awesome it is, it's tragic. It's a tragic day. In Mark 11, 11, I read it to you at the beginning. This is the end of the past, or this is the end of the triumphal entry. Jesus just wrote in, look at what it says again. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and he went into the temple. So he rides into the city. Hey, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We're celebrating our nation. Be the king. He rides right in and he goes into the temple. And after looking around carefully at everything, he leaves because it's late in the afternoon. Some of you think, thought that he turned the tables over right there. He doesn't do that. He observes. What's going on here? Jesus went to the temple. He's looking around. He's watching. And every family there is excited. Don't get me wrong. This is a celebrant time in Israel. This is a party. This is a feast of Passover. This is, this is awesome. Do you know what this day was? What was this day? It wasn't the tribal, oh, it's going to be the triumphal entry of the king of kings. No, it was, it was lamb selection day in Israel. Every Jew wanted to make it to Jerusalem sometime during Passover in their lifetime. Every Jew wanted to raise their own lamb and take it to a priest and have a priest lay his hands on that head of that lamb and say, this is an acceptable lamb. Every Jewish boy and girl dreamed of one day going into Jerusalem and celebrating Passover with a lamb that they had raised where that lamb was slaughtered in the tradition of Judaism. And then they would watch the high priest do the lamb for the nation. Every Jew wanted to be there. And when they could, it was a party. Jesus walks into the temple and people are excited. Families are there in anticipation of celebrating the Passover in the coming weeks, of remembering what God and Moses had done on their behalf to free them from the Egyptian slavery, to remember that although they were under Roman tyranny at that time, God would so soon send a new deliverer, a new Moses. And what did he see? History tells us that what Jesus observed that day was priests and temple leaders rejecting lambs. One after the next after the next. Rejecting these lambs that poor people had raised from childhood. That invested money and protection is. And they would take these lambs and they would say, I'm sorry, this is not pure enough. And literally history tells us that they would take that lamb and they would have the... Hold on just a second. I'm going to have a fight with the speaker. Um, but they would take that lamb out back and put it in a pin. And you know what they would then do? Take another lamb from that same pin, bring it back out to the family and charge them a hundred times more than it cost them to raise that lamb. And those people would pay that. Why? Because they only got, for the poor, they only got to go to Jerusalem once in their lifetime. You're there. You pay it. And then the next person in line would have theirs rejected and they would take the lamb out and put it in that pen and pick up the lamb that was, was rejected last time and bring it out and sell it for 100 times more. That's called a religious racket. And it's been around forever and it still exists to this day. So Jesus watched this. He probably looked compassionately on the people that were there to celebrate and lovingly, and he's watching the priests, and he's wondering how they do it, and he leaves. And in case you're not clear on this, Jesus wasn't just God. He was 100% man, and it festered. It festered. I'm the free lamb. These are the priests that's supposed to be giving these things away. You see, it's interesting, but in Jewish tradition, as well as the Old Testament law, God made it that guys like me weren't paid. They were taken care of. We didn't have to buy land priests, if you can associate me with that. Priests were given land. They were given a place to live. They were taken care of very, very well. Why? Because God never wanted the seduction of money for the priests, but it had happened. It was all about money for these priests. So they were selling the lambs. They had a racket. They had authority, and they had the plan. And Jesus festered. 
And the next day he returns, and that's where he turns the tables on. He walks into the temple grounds. Mark eleven fifteen. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and he began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of money changers and the chairs of those selling doves and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. While the leading priests and the teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, instead of repenting, instead of waking up, they do what they always did. They began planning how to kill him. Palm Sunday. The day after Palm Sunday. The triumphal entry. As I look at this story, it's not the great day we thought it was. It's a tragic day. As has been the case all along, the Jews simply saw Jesus, well, as the last hope for their nationalistic dreams. And when he doesn't go that direction, they plan to kill him. But Jesus did go to Rome to overthrow it. He went to the temple on Lamb Selection Day, as if to say, here I am, and I'm free. That lamb you raised, that lamb, it's not going to remove your sin. Forget all this. I'm going to destroy this temple, and I'm going to rebuild it in three days. And this temple is going to be a gift. I'll be your Passover lamb. I will be slaughtered for your sins. I'm going to be free. You won't have to pay anything for it. And you want to know Jesus' attitude, knowing that what would happen? In Matthew 20, 23, it tells us that Jesus was feeling this this week. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. Now look, your house is abandoned and desolate. He came to save them eternally, and they only wanted saving in this life. What about us? I think Palm Sunday is a really, really good day for us to think about this reality. What if God doesn't give you your dreams? What if he didn't come to make you rich? What if he didn't come to make you happy? What if Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross so your marriage could be saved? Will you walk away? That's what they did. Jesus said this in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. God, through Jesus, offers you a relationship with himself, not necessarily a better life. He offers you adoption, forgiveness from sin, hope. Jesus Christ offers you more than this life can offer. But Satan keeps telling us, even in the church, YOLO, you only live once, and that's a lie. You don't only live once. 
this, my friends, what you're living right now isn't, isn't the end as you get older. It's the end of the beginning. And what you do with this Passover lamb on this lamb selection day determines what happens to you after this life. There are plenty of religious things you can do that will make you feel good. You can celebrate Passover. You can celebrate the Seder. You can listen to great hymns. You can do all these things. But unless you apply the blood of the Passover lamb to the doorpost of your life, the death angel will not skip you. Jesus Christ offers you forgiveness and grace. But to come to him, you have to abandon your plan. He has always been a disappointment to our plan. Ask his mother Mary. Ask her what life was like in his will. Or John the baptizer, who ends up for the right thing being killed. Or Paul. My friends, it isn't about this life. We are the workmen of God in Christ Jesus, set aside to do works that he planned beforehand for us to do. We've turned this into a self-help organization with a fish on its bumper. This is about God. Heaven is about us. It's retirement, it's joy, it's peace. But Palm Sunday is such a powerful message, not because everybody figured out who Jesus was, but because they tragically missed who he was. They missed it. Within a few days, they're going to be saying, we have no king but Caesar. How about that for blasphemy? These people who want Jesus to overthrow Rome eventually are so hateful of him and his plan, so rejecting of him, so angry with him, that they actually say, we'd have, rather have Caesar than Jesus. So here is my plead with you this week. Stop trying to rewrite the story of who God is and accept him as he is. As your Passover lamb. Accept your plight. Walk with him. Find your ministry in your position. Don't search out greater. Be content with what is. Because our Passover lamb has recreated you in the image of his son to use you for his glory in the circumstances in which you find yourself. His plan for you is not to make you great in this life. His plan is to use you to make himself great in this world. His plan is to glorify himself through us. And we live in a time where we are selling Christianity in a way that doesn't even, isn't even recognizable in Scripture. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. Everybody who comes to the Father comes through me. Not everybody will be saved. Only those that apply the blood of the Passover lamb to their lives. Come to me, Jesus said. He doesn't celebrate our tragedy. He celebrates his mercy and his grace. And he wants a relationship with you. As you are, where you are, and how you are. And then he will transform us into the image of his son so that we can do the things for him that he created us to do. And that is a privilege. That is a privilege. Palm Sunday, the most terrible and wonderful day in history next to the crucifixion itself, where the crowds missed the point and end up in hell because of the result. Don't miss the point.
Let's close in prayer. With every head bowed this morning and every eye closed, I want to ask you a very personal question. What do you want from God in your life? Do you desire rest for your soul or a better job? What is it that you want most of all from the Jehovah, King of Kings, Lord of Lords? Better health or eternal life? What kind of saving this Palm Sunday do you seek? Saving from the difficulties of the human experience or saving from a flesh that will separate you eternally from God? Which one do you want? If you want a relationship with God, run to Jesus. I'm going to be quiet right now. And I'm going to give you a second to talk to your Lord and Savior. And maybe he pointed out this morning some areas where you're distracted. Where you're fixated and obsessed with the wrong thing. And I'm going to tell, I encourage you to tell him, Lord, I'm fixated on the wrong thing. Help me put my eyes back on you. Lord God, we have big dreams for you in our life. Yet you told us that if we wanted to be your disciple, we're going to have to pick up our cross, put our selfish ambition aside, and follow you. The Jews were not willing to do that that week of passion. Now you're asking us if we will. So Father, I pray for myself, my family, my church family, that on this Palm Sunday, we would hear your voice deep within us saying, what do you want? You want me or you? And I pray that we would say you. Father, if there's someone here this morning that does not know you as their Savior, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would accept your offer to forgive them and begin a new life this Passion Week in Christ, where their hope is firmly planted an eternal life where thief and moth and rust cannot destroy. We love you, Lord. Thank you for not giving up on us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Bible study is going to start in about 10 minutes. Um, have a great day. If you'd like to pray with an elder or someone, you're welcome to come talk with us. Have a good day.